Hello and welcome to Boston Private's Family Office Connections. I'm Richard Perez, Managing Director and Chief Strategist here at Boston Private. And today we have the great fortune of being joined by Adam Johnson, the founder of Bullseye Brief. Many of you know Adam, old know Adam from his time spent as an anchor on several daily programs on Bloomberg Television, where he's interviewed CEOs, heads of state, and prominent investors. Prior to his time with Bloomberg TV, Adam spent time at ING Asset Management, Louis Dreyfus Energy, Corp, and Merrill Lynch, where he traded stocks and options in oil. With BullseyeBrief.com, Adam has gone back to his roots as an investor and analyst, producing a regular investment letter, exploring American ingenuity, and presenting stock picks for investors every few weeks. Um, with that, I'll, uh, I want to welcome Adam. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, Richard, thank you. I love talking about this kind of stuff from, you know, what, what drives uh, markets to um, companies that are, are, are moving our world forward. You know, my whole thing is American ingenuity, as you just said, the people and the companies uh, changing the world. So uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I appreciate that. I know having spent time reading a lot of the letters you sent, you really have inter- interviewed on your podcast as well, really, uh, you know, thought leaders in the space and have interesting insights. And, you know, with that in mind, um, one topic that's been very timely and what we want to address today is navigating the world during and post COVID-19. Obviously, yeah. it's a very trying and challenging time, not only for everyday people, but for businesses, family office entrepreneurs. And one of the things that we've had to grapple with in real time is how to work outside of the traditional office space as shelter at, in place, um, remote workplaces have become the norm. And while that may, you know, we'll get back hopefully to a normal way of work at, at some point soon, it's pretty clear to everyone that remote working is here to stay in some form. And with that, we've been learning on the fly, learning new technologies and how to work with them. But that innovation continues to grow. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things we, one of the main topics we want to talk to you about is how we think about that and set the table is how we frame what the office of the future might look like, how it will work, challenges and opportunities, and that will present themselves as a result and to get your thoughts on that. Well, um, thank you for, for opening the door to, to letting me talk about that. You know, I, I, in theory, I'm a stock picker, right? I mean, that's, that's what I do through Bullseye Brief. But I do like to, from time to time, kind of put out a thought piece where I help people think outside the box. I help my readers, subscribers, maybe see something they hadn't shine a light. And so um, I think what's brought us together today is this piece that I, 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 I penned um, a few weeks ago trying to imagine what this theoretical office of the future would look like or working from home. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, I think there are four components um, to this, this bold new experiment, Richard. One is just, you know, what will it look like? We will be in our homes. Uh, will it be a separate room? Uh, is it just a favorite corner of the couch? Um, yes, no, no, yes, yes, yes. I mean, there's <laughs> different, you know, ways to answer those. Yeah. But uh, what will it look like? Number two, um, how will it work? I mean, what are the tools that we're going to need to actually be more flexible? And I think we've all learned that a lot of these platforms we thought um, might be reliable actually aren't. You know, it's, the yep. tree may not be there, the delivering the last mile, et cetera. So how will it work? Um, what are the challenges um, to actually figuring this out? And, and I, for me, that's less about technology and more about the sort of um, human stuff, you know, because we're yep. all social animals. And, and you know, it's hard, actually, sometimes to try to read emotions or, you know, some eyebrow or, you know, a snarl or a smile. Absolutely. Right? On a thumbnail. No doubt. You know, the human interaction, kind of reading those context clues and those body language signals is a part of building relationships. So that's a great point. 
Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, finally, number four, what are the tools and opportunities that, that get us there? Everyone's been talking about Zoom conference. By the way, have you seen their earnings this week that, you know, sales were like double what they thought? Yeah, you know, it's interesting as we talk to investors and I spend time with investors, obviously, as a whole, you see, you know, the destruction of earnings and challenges, but there are specific technologies that are benefiting from that. Now, the whole stock market has rallied, obviously, from the bottoms, but there are businesses that you see are, are able to, are well positioned to um, maybe, uh, to, for lack of a better term, take advantage of this type of environment and the new world going forward. And so not to, totally surprising that you see Zoom really prospering in this environment. It'll be right. interesting to see, to your point, are they the ones to, to win in the end or one of the winners? Are there going to be new technologies that are better positioned, better uh, suited for the, the, the office place of the future? Yeah. Well, you know, and by the way, we can get into some of those names um, if, if, you, if you like. But um, I think what I'd like to do is is sort of share the vision, my, my vision that is sort of um, starting to congeal in my mind. Um, again, if our four issues are what will it look like, how will it work, this office of the future, what are the challenges and what are the tools and opportunities, um, let me give you an image. You remember Star Wars, 1978? George Lucas took us on a ride. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll out myself as a, as a Star Wars junkie when I was a kid, for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So um, the opening scene, this little creature called R2D2, suddenly um, um, puts forth an image, and it's a hologram. It's a, it's, it's a mysterious um, sort of pretty woman with braids on her hair called Princess Leia, and she says, Obi-Wan, you're my last hope. <laughs> and we all sort of looked at each other and said, oh my God, that, what is that? Yeah. A hologram, how does that work? I don't know. Back then we couldn't Google it, now we can, and actually as it turns out, a hologram is a pretty easy concept. You just um, triangulate three different lasers, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a picture, um, 3D, in the middle of space. And imagine, Richard, imagine yeah. a home office um, whose walls are not lined with, you know, all the photos and, you know, golf outings and all the other stuff that, you know, you typically see yeah. in someone's office or the kids or whatever, um, or books. But instead, uh, imagine a home office, a little tiny room, maybe, maybe yeah. a little bigger than a closet that is lined with LED um, walls where you can create any kind of virtual atmosphere office space, et cetera, that you want. Could, could be out in the middle of the woods, could be yeah. at the beach, could be a conference room. And imagine if you had these little cameras and lasers, et cetera, um, arrayed around this new home office of the future so that you could have virtual conversations. Imagine if, you know, you and I appear to one another uh, right now, just as <laughs> Princess Leia did coming out of R2-D2, right? A 3D image in this virtual room that we've created. It's wild to think about, you know, you think about when you watch these things and it's science fiction is defined that way. And you just think this will never happen. But then they become reality, whether it's looking back in the, you know, reading books in the early 20th century about space travel, Jules Verne and whatnot. And then you see that become a reality. And, and frankly, I, I never thought of holograms really being something that would take place. But looking back a few years ago, seeing video at Coachella of Tupac Shakur on stage, you know, an image of him rapping. It's uh, it, you're saying, is this real life? And so while it may be far fetched, we're not as far as it seems. And as you know, the, as you, as you know, the rate of technology uh, increased exponentially in some ways, computing power and, and the like. So the power to be able to see these things come to real life and accessible on an everyday level, not just, you know, the expenses coming down on these types of things. I think these, these will things will be within our grasp and change the way we work. And frankly, do it in a way that 
is much more uh, you know easily workable and not clunky. And we still deal with the clunky working the kinks out of these technologies. But to your point, um, you know that's really exciting to see the process of what it could look like going forward. Oh my gosh! So um, two different sort of sides of this um, coin that we're talking about. I mean, just to put this in perspective, think about what Amazon is doing with these, you know, uh, quick convenience stores, which hopefully along with all the stores that we know and love will reopen soon. Um, you walk in and because you've already pre-registered, you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. Yeah. Um, uh, the app on your phone knows that you walked in. Uh, cameras, lasers, um, um, radio frequency signals, um, near-field communication type stuff, knows that you took the sandwich off the shelf, and then you just walk through the door and your account is debited. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing concept. You know, if we're capable of creating that kind of um, new reality in a space, and it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of a cross between virtual and real, imagine the possibilities as we're talking about this office. So that's one side of the coin, okay? Sure. That's the high-tech one. And then the other is just wrapping our heads around it. Um, so, um, you know, you sort of say to yourself, well, yeah, I mean, Adam, okay, great. There's a hologram in my office, and maybe I'm holding a conference in this little home office of the future with three, four other people, and we're all appearing to one another like 3D holograms, but we're really sitting there on the table and you say, I don't know. I just can't get my head around that. Well, imagine, um, Richard, for our grandparents back in, or maybe grand, great-grandparents, great whatever, um, you know, back in 1921 or 22, and, um, you know, one of them said, uh, you know, your, maybe your grandfather said to your, your, your grandmother, you know, sweetheart, I think we're going to add this new, um, we're going to do it in addition on the house. And it's this new room that can accommodate this, this, this new thing called this car that we bought that's replacing the horse. Anyway, this new room is called a garage. <laughs> what do you mean, dear? Well, it's going to allow us to actually uh, pull this wonderful new thing um, right up to the house. And, and, and walk in, oh, my God, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You know, what, what seems bizarre or out of reach today becomes the normal of tomorrow, right? And so, you know, whether it's we think of movies and the technology seeing like a phone call in Back to the Future Part 2 or whatever of having a conversation with the other person on the line but seeing a visual. And that's kind of the norm today with FaceTime or, or any Zoom or whatnot. So, yeah, and, and so you look back, it seems quaint now, but the garage was a novel concept, right? And now it's, it's second nature. So, yeah, no, there's no doubt the evolution of, uh, of kind of advancement in technology becomes the norm for the next generation. And I think it happens more quickly than ever now, as I mentioned. So it's, it's interesting. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, as we're talking about a, a, you know, a garage concept, and I, granted, this is somewhat of an aside, but, you know, we may find that there are new... Um, uh, drone garages or drone chimney. It might be that the home of the future um, not only has uh, an office of the future, like what we're talking about, but even a sort of place where um, packages come down a special drone chimney, right? Almost like a dumbwaiter. You know, yeah. a dumbwaiter was an incredible innovation back in, uh, you know, 1902. Yeah. And, and, and now it's, it's, it's outdated. We don't need yeah. it. Sure. But you know, there are all these things that are starting to happen that, um, yes, as you just said, uh, Richard, they're not that far away. And, yeah. um, um, you know, I think the, the, the home office of the future is absolutely um, at the top of that list, because I think one of the lessons that we've learned um, 
coming out of um, this. And I don't know if we're out of this mess. I, I, I hope we're starting to emerge from it. Sure. Is um, think of the found time that yeah. uh, we have by not having to commute. I mean, I know that we there's a lot that we 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 miss by not sitting next to our our coworkers and just having that spontaneous you know chat where um, one plus one equals three. You happen to be sitting there, and because you're both talking to each other, you you move the conversation forward in a way that you wouldn't if you were apart. That's my one plus one equals three concept. Absolutely. Um, but by the same token, the amount of creativity that is unleashed by just being able to sit down quietly, have a coffee, um, and, and focus in the space that you already know and love and is right there. That's... No, that's listen, I, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think like anything else, my mom's favorite word was always moderation, right? right. It's all good and all bad. And so, you know, one of the questions is that organic aspect of interaction, which fosters some sort of creativity as well, and it's done in kind of an organic and natural way, that at least today is hard to replicate through technology. So that's one thing you miss, that one plus one plus three concept, equals three concept that you mentioned. But to your point, you eliminate, I mean, you gain so much time not commuting and things that you, time to read, time to think, time to kind of, you know, have thoughts to yourself. So one of the questions, you know, that people ask is productivity, whether it's measuring it or feeling about, you know, there's ways that this productivity is advanced. How do you, how are your thoughts about that? Have you had insights into how productivity has been um, either improved or declined in this type of environment? Do you have thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Um, I think there is somewhat of a, 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 it's not a tug of war. It's, it's far more subtle than that, but it's, it's a rebalancing. Um, and, and it's what we're talking about. The, the, um, the contrast, the two sides of um, synergies that happen when um, smart, thoughtful people are in a room together versus um, the creativity that is allowed to happen in a sort of uh, slower environment um, where it's, it's just you in a room thinking. You know, that there, there, there's been a lot of work about fast brain, slow brain. Um, fast brain is everyone around the desk and how do we move forward and um, trying to kind of, you know, um, push your way through it. And admittedly, that's probably the way I tend to operate. I'm a fast brain guy. Yep. One of my lessons, one of the things I have learned in this process is that um, there's some wonderful changes uh, that you can come up with if you just sort of back it off. You know, um, in my writing, for example, you know, I, I publish every week. And um, like any other writer, I get the writer's block. So what do I do? I have found if, if I just walk outside and go for a stroll in the park, I come back, it's like instantly there's the answer. That's the slow brain. And I think um, the productivity question that you mentioned is trying to find a balance between that fast brain and that slow brain. And that's, that's kind of where what I'm exploring right now is finding that new balance. And, and it also reminds me of, of something that my mentor, a wonderful man who um, um, uh, was the vice chairman of Lehman Brothers for a long time, Ed Hagem, uh, who commented to me um, once, Ed said, you know, you only have 90 minutes of creativity per day. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you might try yeah. three or four hours, but legitimately you, you probably have about 90 minutes. Use it wisely. And, and I think, um, Carving out uh, time at home in that quiet space in that home office allows those those 90 minutes to um, to really blossom. 
No, that, 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 that's interesting. And, and I would say with more time comes the, and the ability to kind of be on your own gives a, that amount of time to have reflection and things of that nature. Um, but to your point, there is the pros and cons of, the, of, of remote working. And, and those are some of the challenges that we talk about. But we, kind of jumping into the challenge aspect of it, uh, maybe one challenge is adoption. How quickly will this be adopted by other folks to be able to take advantage of? Because I think a challenge is folks also the investment stays with client businesses. It's hard to replace that face-to-face interaction. Now we're doing it through, you know, conference calls and things of that nature. It's hard to establish a relationship that way. And, you know, I'm just curious, how rapid do you think adoption will be? Um, Is it important that folks are on the same platform and protocol? There's going to be a lot of options, which um, there's going to be more choice, which allows for better innovation. But that's also a challenge, potentially, um, for folks being able to use this efficiently. Um, Maybe touch upon those challenges and any other you might see going forward with with the office of the future. Well, we've already talked about sort of the soft challenges, and then there are hard challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one of the companies that I put in the bullseye portfolio, um, again, American Ingenuity, that's my thing, people and companies driving the world forward, um, Nutanix, um, fascinating company, um, NTNX for, for, mm-hmm. for listeners who actually you know, like, like to look up tickers um, and, and sort of uh, learn more. But this is a company that is trying to um, um, – promote platforms as a service and integrate all these different tools that we're using. So for example, if you have a Cisco server that is running um, uh, software from salesforce.com to try to manage your customer base, um, it integrates them. Um, If you uh, further have a Zoom conference tied into that, and perhaps um, you have um, some um, uh, data visualization that comes from any of the companies out there like Splunk um, that are making data look beautiful, Tableau, um, et cetera. It will integrate that as well. Um, If you are designing uh, complex engineering systems using the 3D CAD uh, production capability and you somehow need to get that moved to a 3D printer because that's one of the other things that's happening, right? You know, Uh know, reshoring manufacturing and, 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 and putting your production capability under one roof. Um, Again, this is a platform, Nutanix, that enables all of those disparate systems to work together and to be updated as often as daily um, in the cloud. And I think that's just one example of the types of new technologies that um, are starting to take shape. We have to figure out how to integrate all these systems that were never really intended to work necessarily together. It's not that they can't. It's just that now that we're, we're, we're in um, multiple locations, we have to figure out how to get these systems to work together, number one, and number two, to do it securely. Um, and that's one of the other big challenges. That Absolutely. We- you took the words right out of my mouth. One of the biggest challenges that I foresee, um, and folks have already started to deal with it, whether it's through Zoom or other platforms, is that the, the security aspect yep. of this, um, folks hacking, folks coming in, how secure information can be transmitted. Um, and, and sometimes that lags, right? <laughs> the technology advances and then you kind of figure it out as you go along. So curious how, how your thoughts are there, maybe either companies or, or identifying some of the issues and, and what are some of the ways folks are trying to solve them? Well, Zoom Technologies um, certainly got a firsthand um, lesson. Absolutely. In security. <laughs> 
right there on the front of the New York Times, we're all reading about how um, people can just tap into our various meetings. Curiously, um, companies like MasterCard are still using Zoom because they, they you know, they say that they, they fixed it. And, you know, um, so you have your IT department look into it. Is there any backdoor hack? And it looks like they figured it out. But they had to, they had to do that on the fly. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, encrypting conversations. And, you know, it's funny, actually, as, as we talk about this, because I remember when Tim Cook, uh, CEO of Apple, first came out and said that he was going to make security and privacy um, his end-all, be-all. And I, I admit, and, and I sort of wish I hadn't been so skeptical at the time, but I sort of poo-pooed it because I thought to myself, oh, come on. We're all walking around with our iPhones. Uh, we have Yahoo Weather on, which knows exactly where we go to within 10 feet, which is why if you walk into a Patagonia store, um, uh, you suddenly start getting Patagonia ads in your mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, oh, and by the way, uh, Facebook, because um, the, 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 or, you know, Siri um, or the Google Assistant is on and listening. If you, if you say, hey, honey, I like these board shorts, these five-inch board shorts, Oh, imagine that you get an ad the next. It's it's remarkable. And to, just to, to, to jump in anecdotally, my wife was much more tech savvy, a little bit younger than me. We'll say, hey, you remember you were talking about, you know, this, uh, this, this shirt here are the three ads on my phone. And so it's always listening. And it's, it's a little big brother. Actually, that's one of the things I was going to say. I don't know if it's a challenge, but and we can come back to it. Um, maybe a challenge in adoption, right? Because folks talk, we think about the Amazon store. There's a bit of a big brother concern, right? Um, privacy concern. And so anyways, I, I just throw that in there, uh, but, but maybe you can touch upon that as well at some point. Well, I think in this home office um, that really is starting to crystallize in my mind, I'm, I want to find makers of LED uh, screens and walls um, and, and, and maybe look to, you know, write it up as a bullseye pick. Um, but in, in, in this office of the future, lined with these LED walls where um, we can create virtual environments from conference rooms to et cetera, as we're talking about, and, and, and being these um, 3D images, it's going to need to be secure. Mm-hmm. Because God forbid you have this um, wonderful um, safe space, uh, inventive space, creative space, interactive space, dynamic space that you've created in your home, this new home office of the future. Uh, and God forbid it's not secure. So we're going to have to figure that out. And whether that's using security from a, you know, a, um, Palo Alto solutions, um, uh, whether that is something that is, is, is a subset of Cisco solutions, you know, I don't know, but, but that is, that is essential. And I think part and parcel of that is, um, weaning ourselves from some of these other um, platforms that we take for granted that are just always on. I mean, I don't have an Alexa in my home because Alexa is always listening. And I'm sorry, but I don't want her to. No, it's, it's like a real concern. I, I have them, but I've, uh, I've, I, as I've seen the ads pop up on my phone and my wife's phone, I, I realize everything's listening. So it's something that is, is a concern for folks and, and one that I think has to be addressed where people people feel comfortable that they're going to have an office at home. You know that separation between office and private, you know, the workplace and privacy at home starts to get blurred, and with that comes the the feeling of having privacy, having a separation, which is real and folks you know folks separating, and also that that can also work towards um, you know uh, I don't want to say mental health, but the ability to kind of be able to detach from work. Because, yeah. um, you know, that's also a challenge I can see with folks saying, if I'm working from home, am I ever not working? 
right? And so these are other folks, uh, things that I think will be a hurdle to, to cross for folks and for companies to say, how do we have that balance and keep that balance of work and, 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 uh, and, and home time and family time in a, yeah. in a new paradigm? It's, you know, it's about boundaries. Yeah. That's nothing new. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, you're right. I do find myself working harder. Uh, I have my own business, so of course I work harder. I'm, I'm probably the hardest boss I've ever worked for. But even I just myself um, have to think about boundaries. Um, um, that, is, that is important. And, um, you know, I think part of what I don't know if it reinforces boundaries, but certainly um, helps us to um, establish them, think of them, respect them, uh, interact with others, is um, creating these mini groups, and this gets to the notion of productivity that, that you started off with. Um, Slack. Do you use uh, Slack, you know, which is the group messaging platform? I do not, but increasingly I've seen it being used by peers in the industry. And again, I, I keep alluding to my wife, she works at a technology company. And yeah. it's basically the lifeblood of their communication. And yeah. it's, it's only increased now that she's working remotely. Um, Slack, uh, Slack and similar applications are, are really the lifeblood of communication nowadays. Well, understandably so. Um, uh, you know, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's basically a group messaging platform. So, you know, you take your, your iPhone out and you've got text message. Great. But that's just between, you know, you and me. And maybe we have a group text. Okay. Um, and that's somewhat more flexible than email because, you know, email, it just sits in there and it's reply to all and, uh, or, oh, shoot, I forgot to hit reply to all. I only yeah. hit reply to the sender. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's gotten clumsy. But on these group texts, you can create different groups. And I think that's another way we need to think about productivity and home offices of the future and working together versus working not together. So you could have, you know, your marketing chat group. You could have your um, um, uh, managing directors only chat group. You know, the person who runs yep. marketing, mm -hmm. the person who runs communications, but right. Um, and you have these different chat groups. And so you're only sending messages to the people in that group. So you're not going to waste anyone's time. And it's easy to just scroll, scroll, scroll with your finger and go back and see the different message. Oh, here's what Richard said. Oh, this is how Adam responded. Oh, great. There is the um, link that um, uh, Roberta uh, uh, posted. Oh, sure. fantastic. I can click on that. You know, that gets at productivity and that's um, – that's a very exciting way to start segmenting. And I think it also, again, reinforces this notion of boundaries and, um, and, and, and disrupting the least number of people because you're only going after the specific people you want to um, address over a given issue because they're in that chat group. Sure. No, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm dating myself now, but I was in a world where my first email account was, you know, in college. And so, um, and that be as, you know, it's, a, it's impossible now to imagine a world in the office place without email, but as little as 25 years ago, many companies did not have it. Right. And so, you know, I can see things like Slack or a similar type of applications with that functionality becoming the norm. And I think one of the challenges is, and this is with technology at big firms in particular is, taking kind of existing technology, this infrastructure that's been built upon and added upon ad hoc over time to make it work 
and then adapting to new technology. And that transition is often painful and costly and having the integration. You, me you mentioned that Nutanix as well as like a platform, but I think integrating those types of solutions, how well are those types of solutions integrating into existing technologies and companies? Um, is that something that has been relatively seamless? Because I, I think about big companies that don't use Slack, but also the newer entrepreneurial tech companies that do. And I'm curious how, how you see that evolving. Yeah, well, I think um, Nutanix is one way to integrate um, uh, different uh, uh, platforms, entities, softwares, hardwares, et cetera, that were not intended to interact together. But I think your question really gets to the more holistic approach, which mm -hmm. is, well, okay, fine. So Nutanix is helping us do it now, but what about, you know, what about um, uh, an, a fully integrated ecosystem, kind of like what Apple has? Uh, mm -hmm. But I think of Apple as more sort of um, touchy-feely, you know, ad advertising agencies, mm -hmm. uh, media companies. Um, I mean, when I was at Bloomberg, every yes, we all had Bloombergs, but everybody had Apple stuff. And I use Apple, and I love it. And I do all my, um, um, my work for my investment letter on Apple. But imagine a more professional, a Microsoft platform yep. that somehow becomes an entire ecosystem. Um, Twilio is a great example of that. Um, another company that has, gosh, doubled in, in, in really about four months um, since this whole work at home thing um, sort of took over uh, and became our new normal. But yes, that is a platform where everything is intended um, to work together because it was designed from the ground up. So video, um, texting, uh, document sharing, document signing, uh, all of that's integrated. I mean, right now, all that stuff is separate. You know, if you want document signing, you need the plugin or the download from Adobe, you know, eSig. Uh -huh. But, you know, what if that's integrated on the Azure platform at Microsoft or, you know, embedded internally within Twilio? And, um, you know, what if, well, you and I are using, you know, this one platform, WebEx, right, to talk right now. Um, but, you know, what if there were chat boxes integrated into it and we could just share documents back and forth? Zoom has that, and yeah. that's exciting. And I think it's one of the reasons why um, Zoom has become such a go-to runaway company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's still all a work in progress. No, no doubt. No, no, no doubt. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of, uh, you mentioned security and integration. Maybe we could touch on security and, and the investment world. I know folks have in this environment are looking, where are there opportunities to work? And cybersecurity is one that we've touched upon a lot at Boston Private. We've had folks that are in that space. And I think it comes to the forefront as we start adapting by necessity <laughs> these new technologies and kind of learning on the fly. Um, so I think we generally think that that's an area of potential secular growth into the future um, and opportunity sets. Are there specific companies or do you think it's internal solutions or, or certain areas that you've been focusing on in, in cybersecurity? So, um Cybersecurity used to be the sort of, <laughs> so funny to think of it this way, yes. add-on. You know, you went to yeah. <laughs> right? You'd be like, oh, I need security. So I'm going to integrate magazines, you know, security, quote, solution. Yeah. Um, wow. What? Now, <laughs> it's just so integral. The notion of, of an external security thing, um, is, it, it's almost an anathema. So, um I mean, a lot of the security companies actually have been bought by, by big tech, uh, mm -hmm. from you know Google to Microsoft, et cetera. 
making acquisitions of companies, many of which are private, you've never heard of. Um, if I were to go on my Bloomberg terminal right now and do a search on uh, M&A activity acquisitions made by um, uh, any one of those companies I just named, Microsoft, Cisco, et cetera. Um, Makes sense. Dozens. I mean, you would find in the past yeah. dozens. Um, uh, MasterCard, all about security. In fact, MasterCard is almost a, a tech roll-up company. You know, people think of MasterCard as an issuer of credit cards. Not at all. Uh, MasterCard partners with banks. The yes. banks issue the credit cards. MasterCard provides software solutions and a security platform that enables transactions to happen. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's a very different way of thinking about the world. No, that makes sense. And, and, and no, that, that, that absolutely makes sense in the private equity space where a lot of this kind of integration and M&A activity happens because it has to be integrated into the solution. It's yeah. not just an add-on. It's not just buying Norton or McAfee as it was in the past. Um, it seems like ages ago. Um, and, and by the way, for, yeah. if I may, just on MasterCard, because I actually got to know the company and, and actually wrote it up as a bullseye pick. I was fascinated. It's not cheap. Um, mm -hmm. It is exciting. What I learned, and it blew my mind, is that um, MasterCard doesn't – well, first of all, every single transaction is its own encoded entity. All right? It, it's called tokenization. They assign yeah. you know, an alphanumeric character to that transaction. That transaction um, has several components to it. Uh, the dollar amount, uh, the uh, clearing bank, uh, the uh, service provider, you know, the store, the doctor, whomever, uh, who provided the good or the service – the date, the time occurred, where it occurred, um, um, and the currency. But guess what? The identity of the person, the cardholder, not part of it. Interesting. Fascinating? Yeah, interesting. That's tokenization. Um, and, and so actually, um, the, and there have been case studies, Harvard Business School case studies written about this, where regulators will go to MasterCard and say, you know, we want to see, um, you know, how people are spending their money. And they'll say, okay, fine, what do you want? And then they'll say, why aren't there any Social Security numbers with this data? And they say, no, because we don't collect them. Well, what do you mean? No, everything's tokenized. If you want to know about individual people, you have to go to the banks. Yeah. Go, go to J.P. Morgan, which issued the MasterCard, and they'll be able to tell you, but we can only tell you gross volume transactions, where they happened, what types of transaction it was, and then all the, the tokens, right? Now, yep. that's a fascinating concept. It is, it is, and I think it touches again, again on security and privacy and, and how much data, how, how secure data can be. Um, kind of pivoting a little bit on that security topic, and it just came to mind, we're also having folks work from home, and they have their own environment. And so, not only security of the technology that they're using, but them handling things in a secure fashion, right? I think one of the challenges have been for some folks who, um, at certain companies, who log into their, their desktop remotely through Citrix and the like, yeah. and being able to, you know, pr print things, do webcasts like this from that remote location are very difficult. And so you start to see this merging of personal emails or things off of the network. And so I think obviously there'll be technological solutions, but there's also a training component to this. And as we learn on the fly, that's hard to do. Um, have you seen either um, best practices in training or different solutions to help, you know, being innovated on to help kind of bridge that gap? Because I, I do think that that's a big challenge for companies because as you rely on folks, you're in the employees do, to, to do that um, from home, it's a challenge. Well, I, I love the fact that you just mentioned best practices because that too is something that we're all learning in real time. Um, my my um, 
my, um, uh, I guess, go-to in terms of best practices, uh, for lack of a better um, expression, is if, if it's not something you're willing to read about on the front of the New York Times with your name attached to it, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you just extend that simple concept, um, if, if something logically doesn't feel right, seem right, uh, click on this link. You know, wait a minute, this seems like phishing, um, uh, you know, where someone's trying to get my data, et cetera. Um, and now start expanding that concept, um, you know, a little more um, uh, technically or a little more specifically. Um, I think there are probably certain um, activities, pursuits, types of businesses that lend themselves more to being in a safe, secure uh, space office, if you will, yep. at home. For example, I don't think you're going to see a Goldman Sachs um, institutional trading desk being run remotely by the seven different members of that desk, each working from his or right. her home. Yep. That doesn't work. You're going to need, um, and again, this is my point, certain businesses are still going to need centralized locations where they go in and they're secure. For example, my Bloomberg terminal. I typically use my Bloomberg terminal with an application called Bloomberg Anywhere, which basically is over the internet. Yep. Fine. So whether I'm on my laptop or, or you know, borrowing someone else's computer, whatever, I can go, I sign in, it's secure, but I am going over a Wi-Fi network and there's a certain public aspect to it. Therefore, I'm not allowed, Bloomberg does not allow me to trade over that. If I want to trade through my Bloomberg terminal, it has to be on the designated Bloomberg terminal um, user ID uh, that was installed on my specific computer in one specific location using a secure T1 line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that again is one of those protocols, one of those things that we're, we're sorting out and companies are trying to figure this out. How much of our business can we do remotely or how much of our business, I should say, can we allow to be done remotely versus how much has to be in a secure environment uh, that it also includes a secure location? Yep. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, there'll be there'll be some businesses that will will be challenged to ever evolve that or any time in the near future. And you kind of highlighted some of those and, and some that we think they can't, but then it'll be technological solutions. So absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to, to pivot towards and, and we got questions from, from some of the, from some of the listeners on this okay. with respect to the investment side. And you touched upon it when you talked about the security side being mm -hmm. integrated and a lot of that transaction was on the private side private equity side, and you're, you've done stock picking, you give stock advice in the public markets. How much of the opportunities that the ability to take advantage you think will be from the private side and venture, which has obviously been a space that's grown quite a bit, and the ability to take advantage of it from the public side? Do you see quite a bit of opportunity in private markets, and how would you go about trying to take advantage of it if that's the case? Well, certainly you and um, your um, uh, the members of, of Boston Private and your families, and I think of your families as members. It's it's part of a um, uh, a very uh, tightly knit group. Uh, you actually have a leg up on me because you actually have access to those private companies. I I set up my business to focus on public, but I think of um, what's happening on a private side 
It's very exciting. And um, what's also nice is you don't have to worry about mark to market. So if a market sells off uh, 30% in the month of March, it's, I hear you. <laughs> yep. your P&L the way it hurts mine. Um, but that said, there are some very exciting companies um, that are approaching security, not just in terms of software, but um, you know, even in terms of, of hardware. I'll, I'll give you a company that I, that I absolutely love um, called Lumentum. The ticker is L-I-T-E, Lumentum, a semiconductor company that originally started off making lasers that would beam data down optical networks. Then what they realized is those same network, uh, those same lasers were actually quite effective at um, reading the details um, three-dimensionally of, for example, uh, your face or my face. Huh. Well, imagine that. You now <laughs> you go to your iPhone and you click on it and it reads your face. Well, that's because there's a Lumentum laser in there. In fact, um, Lumentum has a laser in every single new Apple product uh, facial recognition. Interesting. It's a huge component of um, yeah. security that we'll see going forward. Uh, fingerprint's no longer good enough because you can lift a fingerprint and replicate it. You can't uh, very easily replicate someone's face. No, that's really interesting. Uh, and and the components part, part of the value chain and what goes into these devices has always been an interesting place to mine for opportunities that maybe not, not that obvious to some folks. One question that may be more macro in, in nature and geopolitical, but a lot of the components are made in China. And a lot of, uh, um, not only that, some of the underlying materials come from that for, some of these, from, for many of these devices. How do you take that into account as you look at your stock picks? Are you taking that into account? Has that led you down a different path of due diligence or, or thinking about how to uh, uh, invest in certain companies? It may, but you can't just um, upend an entire global supply chain yes. that's been built over years. Um, I will tell you, I think this is fascinating in part because of the name of the company, Taiwan Semiconductor. <laughs> I'll say it again, Taiwan. Uh, yep. mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Relocating its primary uh, fabrication facility to Arizona. Wow. wow. It had been in China, mainland China. So Taiwan Semi is relocating to Arizona. Um, imagine some of the other companies. Taiwan Semi is arguably one of the largest contract uh, semiconductor uh, manufacturers in the world. A lot of the semiconductor companies out there don't actually make chips, they just design them, and, and they hire a semiconductor fab company or fabrication company like Taiwan Semi to actually make it. So, you know, you might have um, um, uh, a semiconductor designed by Lamentum uh, being made in the same factory as a semiconductor that was designed by uh, Qualcomm, right? Mm, yep. Um, contract manufacturing, it's just, it's one of those efficiencies that has been uh, worked out of the system. And, um, which by the way, just gets back to what, what was that, um, uh, that law where, you know, in economics 101, I remember my, my professor, Alan Blinder at Princeton, former vice chair of the Fed, would say, well, we're debating between guns and butter. Right? <laughs> if you're better at making guns or better at making Butter, or if you're better at actually, if you make guns and better, better than anyone else, you should still focus on the one thing you do best: make guns, and let the <laughs> guy make the butter. Right? Comparative advantage, yep. law of comparative advantage. 
And one of the things we've learned is um, in these new global supply chains that some entities are better at manufacturing, some are better at designing. And that's why you have that division, by the way, that enables a Taiwan Semi to be a contract manufacturer versus a Lamentum or a Qualcomm to be a um, designer of chips and an owner of patents and therefore intellectual property. Well, that makes sense. You know, I'll, I'll translate that into kind of the world that I, I'm in in the investment side. Specialization, particularly as things become much more complex and much more intricate and in trying to execute um, is important. And I, you see companies, you know, that, the ones you mentioned, really focusing on what they do best potentially and segmenting that but in the investment world as well. And they'll touch back upon my thoughts on the private markets, you know, um, trying to find folks who have real expertise, whether it's in certain types of technology, certain discovering talent, assessing that talent, having experts that have spent a lot of time assessing and building and, and evaluating those businesses or in healthcare or things of that nature. And I think that's an important thing that I look at as you start to look at markets that are very specialized, a lot of growth opportunity, but with opportunity comes a lot of folks coming to the fray and separating the wheat from the chaff is a challenge. Um, but looking for folks who have specialization, I think that's a, kind of a corollary to that, that, that discussion you're talking about. Boy, I'll say, um, yeah, it really is. And, um, as I launched my business, um, mm -hmm. what I found was that I naturally gravitated towards, um, towards growth as opposed to value. Well, to some, they, that may sound a little obscure, but, um, you know, that for me was a defining moment when I realized, because I got to know myself a little bit better, realized, you know, that, and that's, that's part of the process, that slow brain, fast brain, let, let your mind percolate. And where do you naturally gravitate? I'm an optimist. That's why I say getting to know myself. I'm an optimist, uh, which also makes it hard for me to short stocks. Um, <laughs> I'm just not wired that way. But I like to find exciting growth opportunities where there is runway. Once you start to define um, what excites you, um, what gets you out of the bed in the morning, what you want to do on, on Sunday afternoon, even though we probably ought to wait till Monday, but nonetheless, that's a real revelation. And then I started to realize, well, actually, there's certain companies and certain sectors that are better than others at growth. Um, mm -hmm. And what I have found myself gravitating towards is technology, biotechnology, and what I call med tech or medical technology. Curiously, artificial intelligence has now a huge um, representation across all of those uh, Interesting. sectors and disciplines. Um, but I, you know, I think that, um, yes, narrowing focus and um, allowing yourself to um, embrace that and then even developing an expertise. Um, yeah, that, it, that's, that's a huge part of, I think, personal development. And um, it, it may be one of the benefits of all this extra time that we've had to, uh, to work from home and let that slow side of the brain kind of percolate. No, that's interesting. No, that, that makes a lot of sense and resonates how I think about the world going forward and, and how to best, you know, attack all these problems and trying to build the best investment portfolios and identify talent. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you're an optimist and shorting is not your thing, but we've seen markets rally quite a bit. And there's concern and uh, with folks, they're happy the markets have rebounded. They, folks are feeling a little more comfortable, but whether things have run a bit too far. Are there areas that you are concerned with and saying they've kind of been a uh, all boats ride, rise with the rising tide, and you're saying, hey, some of these sector segments may may be a little overvalued or may not be the areas for growth going forward and things where you're looking to move away from 
or just not focusing as much on? Well, I just sold my Facebook <laughs> and another company I love called Lavongo, which uh, uses AI to help diabetics uh, um, uh, better manage their condition, turn it from a chronic disease into a manageable condition. Like Nutanix that integrates systems, Lavongo mm-hmm. integrates software and, you know, Dexacom's pumps and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I tell you why I sold each of them, uh, because they hit my targets. Mm-hmm. That's the way I manage um, a portfolio. Um, I don't think about the market as much as I do the individual stock. As, uh, again, that one boss that, that I mentioned earlier um, said to me early on, he said, you're only rational once, and it's before you buy the stock. <laughs> so set a target and honor it. And those names hit my targets. Um, Facebook, after a year and a half, Lavongo, sadly, which is, Lavongo's up, like, gosh, I think I've made about 180% in four months. I mean, I intended to, my my average holding period is 13 months. But if something hits your target, in fact, goes way past it, um, uh, you have to honor that. Um, So that's how I'm dealing with the fact that, yes, markets have run considerably. Um, I think they could probably continue to run, um, but there will come a point at which you say it sort of tops out. I mean, just, I'll I'll tell you how I think about the S&P 500 right now. Sure. Right. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds because then people's eyes will glaze over. <laughs> right. But you sort of say to yourself, well, okay, earnings are probably down, you know, $50 on the S&P. So they're going to go from what had been $175 in earnings last year to, I don't know, 125. We don't really know this year. Yep. But if you look back at previous crises like this, and I actually went back and there have been a number of pandemic examples, um, um, over the past several decades, this is way worse. Um, but you do get a snapback rally because some demand is pent up. And if you assume that you get um, uh, sort of 20 to 25% snapback in terms of demand, capital expenditures, uh, buildings still have to be maintained, um, uh, uh, railroads still need to replace uh, ties, um, companies still need to upgrade software, et cetera. You get some sort of snapback. And you say to yourself, well, we can probably get to um, $175 in earnings next year, 2021. Well, we're trading right now at, at 17 and a half times that forward earnings multiple. And you say, is 17 and a half times an appropriate multiple when interest rates are close to zero? Actually, you can probably pay more. And I feel a little foolish saying that, but uh-huh. I think you only need to pay 21 times. Well, 21 times gets gets the S&P up another 12 to 15% from here. And I think that's the way um, other investors are thinking about it. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit anxious, uh, but as I say, rather than worry about the market and the S&P and and, and targets like that, um, I'm focused on my names. And as they hit targets, I am selling them. Well, I think that I was just going to mention that. I think that, I think the fact of dispersion, winners and losers, folks who can really, companies that can position themselves for the future, makes a lot of sense. So I think maybe active management, which has kind of taken a back seat to pass over the last five to 10 years, could be really take hold. And that's something that I'm taking a closer look at. My career has been spent mostly looking at active managers, but it's been a tougher place to be. But I think going forward, to your point, um, it's an area where there should be more focus. Um, and I think that's where you don't look at the market as a whole because there will be dispersion. And I think this type of environment really accelerates that. Yes. Oh, I absolutely think so. In fact, I, you know, 
I mean, of course, I'm going to say this because it 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 it, it sort of um, is 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 the way I'm positioned. I am an active manager, and yes, I think that um, this is now going to be much more uh, the next couple of years an era for active management. Um, admittedly, the fact that rates are back down to zero. Um, argues for just indexing yourself because a lot of stuff goes up and it, and low rates allow for inefficiencies. Um, but I think the, um, the, the extent of the disruption that we have all um, experienced, and admittedly, I hate to say this, but, you know, are still, you know, experiencing, you know, we're not entirely out of woods yet. Um, uh, I think that argues for people sort of stepping back and saying, well, hang on, what's working and what's not working? What do we need? What do we not need? Um, as we think about these new ways of living, operating, working from home, e-commerce, um, uh, uh, 5G, Internet of Things, factories of the future, uh, which technologies matter and, and, and which no longer do? And all that gets towards um, A, active management, which is what I do, and B, um, a sort of private equity component, which I think is, you know, one of the things that, that you and, and the team at Boston Private um, does very well. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we're, we're coming close to the end, but there's one other question uh, that I think makes a lot of sense that came through. We've talked about the advancements of technology, the embracing of remote working and all of that, what that entails. But on the backdrop, um, bandwidth, mm-hmm. 5G, um, how do you think about that? Are there areas there for investment opportunity? How, how do you think um, that will evolve as the requirements of the needs and that will just grow as businesses start to having folks work remotely and the needs from the home place of having that bandwidth? You mentioned a T1 line. Not everybody will have that. You'll have more wireless and need more power to do that. Um, so just curious about your thoughts there, either at a uh, high level or at the company level. Qualcomm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, arguably, okay. There are a couple of companies that technically have more 5G um, patents, but I saw a wonderful study out of, I think it was Gartner Group, um, that looked at the influence of patents. And, 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 you know, if you look at the number of different products that a given patent, for example, uh, governs, or uh, how many times a given patent is cited by even competitors, um, and, and, and you sort of uh, recalculate the patent rankings that way, Qualcomm beats every other company in the world by uh, multiples, like seven, eight to one. Um, uh, so Qualcomm, the ticker is QCOM. Um, the, the classic Qualcomm, and, and now I'm gonna sound like a real stock picker geek, <laughs> me too, but you, you buy it at 12 to 13 times and you sell it at 18 to 19 times. And I've had several round trips in the name. I'd love to own this forever, but unfortunately, because it is a name that everybody talks about and there's that China trade component, it's somewhat volatile. Um, Qualcomm is a is is really my 5G play. Um, mm-hmm. Corvo is another great one. QRVO. They make the near field um, or RF radio frequency communication chips that enable um, all this stuff to happen. I mean, think about when you talk about the Internet of Things and 5G. We sort of throw around the notion of autonomous cars. Yeah, great. But in order for a car to drive without a driver um, and not hit anything else. That car has to communicate with every other car on the road with um, with um, uh, the the special uh, lane. Um, I don't even know what to call them. You know, the, the paint on the, on the, on yep. the 
right? When certain sensors, there are certain little chips in the paint. Yeah. That's like virtual guardrails kind of thing for them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, Stoplights that, that um, uh, are on a smart grid um, to maximize um, efficiency in the flow of traffic. Um, all of these things, all of these millions of little calculations that have to be uh, made um, from nanosecond to nanosecond to nanosecond and then transmitted across multiple servers. Um, that's near-field communication or radio frequency chips. That's what Corvo does. And um, so we're going to all get to know companies like Corvo and Qualcomm, I think, in the ways that we talk about Microsoft and Intel. Um, and, and I'm not exactly ahead of the curve by saying, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people out there who are saying, well, Adam, I kind of already know Qualcomm and Corvo. Yeah, but you're going to get to know them even better. Sure. And companies evolve. What Amazon's business was 20 years ago has evolved to today. So names that you know can be very different in how they operate going forward and, and what they provide. So that's very helpful. Um, I think we've run out of time in terms of questions, but um, first I want to thank you so much for taking your time and for your insights. It's been really helpful. I definitely want to give you a chance to um, recap or talk about anything as a uh, end point. Um, but, but again, thank you for taking the time. Oh gosh, Richard, thank you. Um, you know, one of the, one of the great joys for me in, 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 what I do is being able to sort of step back and let that slow brain, fast brain work. And um, some days are slow brain days and other days are fast brain days. And to be able to um, meet you here uh, uh, across our laptops and have a very fast brain conversation <laughs> about slow brain stuff, that's pretty cool. So um, thank you. And if, if um, you know, what we're saying is uh, somehow helpful to um, the clients uh, and the family of Boston uh, Private, then uh, wonderful that I think we've done a great service and, 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 and that makes me very happy. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and it's been a really fascinating conversation and one I think we'll continue to have. But again, thank you again, Adam, uh, for, from bullseyebrief.com. And for the folks on the line, thank you for taking the time. If you'd like to get in touch with us or our guests or have any questions, um, feel free to send us an email at familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. I also recommend that you check out our website where you can find numerous resources, sign up for our newsletter, uh, get this podcast and, and uh, other, uh, other things for your inbox. Uh, and that website is bostonprivate.com slash family office. And, uh, you know, that's it for today. But please check back in for a new podcast next week. And you can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Again, thanks, everyone. Adam, thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Richard. Pleasure. Take care. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. 
Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, and may lose value.